Uh, let's all give a, a good welcome to Ken Amador. Thank you, Pastor. Well, I can't say how, how excited I am to be here this morning as I look out and all these wonderful, smiling, happy people. Praise the Lord for that. Um, greetings from Westbury Christian Academy. We've got some folks here that actually uh, worship with you. I'd like to have them stand if they're a teacher or a trustee or someone who's um, connected with Westbury. I'd like to have you stand this morning. Let's give them a hand this morning. So, got some in the back and right there. Awesome. And I think there's more, but they're serving the Lord in other parts of the building. So uh, obviously the people that work at West Bay are servants, and they wouldn't be there if they weren't. And praise the Lord for that. So I, I bring you greetings from West Bay. We're just here on School Street, and so mo most of you probably have seen it, familiar with it. Uh, obviously, Pastor Rich has been connected with West Bay for many years, and we're very grateful for his ministry there. And Continue to pray for Calvary Chapel as you guys worship the Lord, and we're partners with you. And so we've got a short video that I want to uh, show you, and then uh, I'll, I'll ask you to, if you have questions, we've got a table out in the foyer, and we'll answer some specific questions about the school at that point. So if you can uh, take a listen to the video. Part of the Christian faith is to encourage young people to be examples in life, in speech, in purity, and in their conduct. And here at West Bay Christian Academy practices what they preach. Hands down, the best part about West Bay for me were the teachers and their willingness and excitement to help you reach your potential. I learned a lot about having a personal relationship with God from some of those teachers. The teachers at West Bay Christian Academy are amazing and there are no words that you can truly put to what they do for each child at the school. I think it was because of West Bay that I chose to become a teacher. I loved what they did, that ultimately I wanted to be a teacher as well. In a large class, it's almost impossible for a teacher to meet the needs of every student all of the time. But when it's more of almost a family atmosphere, Teachers can get to know their students, know them by name, know their interests. You didn't get lost. At least for me, having been homeschooled for the first three years, I was able to make friends really easily. You know, smaller classes really helped with that adjustment. I found West Bay academically challenging, especially uh, in my algebra class in eighth grade. And I remember that being the hardest class I had taken to that point in my whole life. I remember sitting in my freshman English class and I was the only person who knew how to dissect a sentence. It was fun, I loved it. I loved the literature we did in fourth grade, Sing Down the Moon, all the way through Witch on Blackbird Pond. The academics at West Bay Christian Academy more than adequately prepared me to get into and excel at Bishop Hendrick in high school. One of the most important things was probably scripture memorization. That was probably the time in my life that I memorized the most scripture and it's still there because once you've written it on your heart, it's there forever. Spiritual Emphasis Week was fantastic. You know, I just remember that being one of the first times where I was really engaged and passionate in worship, and that was just a really cool experience. I'll never forget that. Our faith grew in a way that I never realized a Christian education was going to impact. The true bond between family, school, and church has solidified our faith, and it all started here. I really believe that West Bay challenges their students to excel in a rigorous college preparatory high school like the Proud School. You should definitely send your child to West Bay because they will have the foundation that they need to be successful in their future. You have teachers here who love 
your children with the love of Christ. And that makes a big difference. It made a big difference for me, and it will make a big difference for your child as well. My name is Kate Nooney, and I am a West Bay Eagle. My name is Joshua Xavier, and I am a West Bay Eagle. I'm Michaela Shorey, and I'm a West Bay Eagle. My name is Joe Schrader, and I am a West Bay Eagle. For more information, visit us at wbca.info. Wow, that's good stuff. The cool thing about that video is it's all true. I mean, obviously, West Bay is a smaller school, and the attention that we're able to provide children um, is, is amazing. So if you, if you know some people that are looking for Christian school education, or maybe you're looking to have your children or grandchildren in a Christian school education environment, I encourage you to get more information. So we'll be outside after the service in the foyer if you want to ask, get some information or ask some questions. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45 Patrick Rich has been talking about the stories of different people, and all of us have a story. And the story we're going to read today is the tail end of the story. And I really appreciate this man's story because of what he went through in his life and the challenges that he faced in God's, by God's grace and in his might, he was able to overcome those difficulties. So Genesis chapter 45, let's look in verses 1 through 5. Genesis chapter 45, verse 1 says this, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from here, uh, go from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. And they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Look in verse 5. But now do not, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Look in verse 8. Verse 8 says, So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and the Lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Let's turn to verse, turn to chapter 50. Chapter 50 and look in verse 19. Chapter 50 and verse 19. Verse 19 says, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in the place. Am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it, ha it is this day, to save many people alive. Verse 21. Now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Father, we thank you for this absolutely gorgeous day. Father, it's not an accident that we are here. God, you have appointed this time for us to be here to receive your word. And Father, there might be someone in this, this group, this congregation, that might be uh, really going through some tough times right now. And God, I ask right now that you would intervene. Maybe some people, some individuals were up all night last night. 
crying, seeking your face, asking God for deliverance, for strength, for comfort, for wisdom. God, right now I ask that you would work not just in their lives, but all of our lives, because to varying degrees, we're all struggling. We all have issues that we don't understand. We all have frustrations that overwhelm us. And Father, we don't have any hope outside of you. And so we know, God, that when it's impossible for us, it's very possible for you. And so we ask, God, that you would speak through this message, that you would help us to recognize that you love us, that you're for us, and whatever story we are living, God, you're orchestrating, you're involved, you're engaged in our story. Thank you, Lord, and we ask, God, that you'd speak to us now through this message in your word, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I love Joseph. All of us, if you've been in church, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you're completely familiar with the story of Joseph and all the stuff that he went through. And it was brutal. I mean, you, you just have to, if you use your mind's eye, you think about the stuff that he went through. We, he's a great example for us. Uh, he was sold as a slave. He was falsely accused. He was imprisoned. He, but he used power wisely when he was given that opportunity. So you think about all the stuff that he went through, and you recognize that God allowed him to go through those things to prepare him for positions of leadership. It would be really easy for Joseph to get frustrated and get mad with God and say, if this is what it's like to be a Christian, I'm done. I'm out of here. It would have been very easy for him to say, if this is what it's like to be a child of God, it's too hard. I want to quit. I'm out of here. But through every one of the scenarios that Joseph went through, all of it, as he responded well to God and allowed God to use his situations to make him closer and more intimate with his God, all of it prepared him for the future that we've just read about. An amazing thing. The big key to Joseph's success is one word, the word forgiveness. And I want to focus on that today because I think that's, of all the things that we're called to do as Christians, it's probably the most difficult thing that I struggle with, forgiveness. Because if you've been alive for any length of time, you've been betrayed. You have, someone has stabbed you in the back. And unfortunately, sometimes that's Christians that do that. And so it's very easy to get very upset and, and frustrated and, yes, even bitter because of the betrayal of others. But so the success to Joseph, I believe, is forgiveness. In all the verses that we read about Joseph, we never see any bitterness. We never see any resentment. You can read the verses. It's not there. Yes, we see sadness. Yes, we see frustration, but we don't see bitterness and we don't see resentment. That's an amazing thing because what he went through was pretty tough. At least in the first one, when he was thrown into the, the cave or the pit, for all he knew, he was going to die there. It would have been very easy for him to get really upset and frustrated. We don't see in any of this uh, in this story as he was elevated in power to be second in command to Pharaoh. We don't see that he ever punishes Potiphar or his wife for what they did to him. We don't ever see that he punished the butler for forgetting him in prison for two years. Well, that make me frustrated. That make me angry. This guy who gets out, I'm left in prison. Go tell uh, you know Pharaoh what I've done, what I've done for you. 
forgotten. We don't see him punish him. We don't see that he punishes his brothers for what they did to him, even though they deserved it. Nowhere do we read in these verses where Joseph complains, bitterly tells everyone about his horrible life, or seeks revenge against anyone. I want that to soak in for a moment. Because if there was ever someone in, in the history of the world that deserved to get even with his enemies, that was Joseph. But we don't see that. So what is the thing that he did? What was the secret? We look at the life of Joseph, and I see a couple of things that I think are foundational for us as Christians. I'm talking about born-again believers. If we're going to have the ability to choose to forgive, there are two things, and this is all in the introduction, so this is all free, so just in case you're wondering. Number one, he recognized God's hand in all of his circumstances. That has to be foundational. If you don't get that this morning, the rest of the message is useless. You've got to recognize that God is orchestrating and using the circumstances of your life, both good and bad, for his glory and our good. What's my text for that? Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called, in, are called according to his purpose. He's not saying that all things are good because we all know it's not. But he's committed himself, he's promised that I will use the good and the bad in your life. I'm like, shoo, because I've had a lot of bad stuff happen in my life. So God's commitment when I became a Christian was, I promise to you, Ken Amador, that as you are growing, I'm going to use the good and the bad in your life to shape and mold you to look like Jesus. That's all of it, the good and the bad. I'm grateful for that, and I hope you are too. So he recognized God's hand in all his circumstances. That's the first primary thing that we need to know. The second thing we need to know is that God is in charge, and the outcome will be God's outcome. Shoo, once again, that takes a lot of pressure off me because God's got it. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. He's going to use it for good. It's called sanctification. When we become Christians, we begin a journey that God says is going to take you all the way until you stand before him someday, complete and perfect. So all that stuff from when I, got, when I became a Christian, all the good and the bad and all the horrible and all the awesome, all of it's being used to shape and mold me to look like Jesus. So God's in charge. And the outcome of my life will be God's outcome. So I need to get on board with that. So get on board with that. That's the rest of the message. So all that other stuff was preliminary. So how do we do that? How do we forgive? We must choose, and that's the key word. It's a choice. It's a decision that we make. We must choose to live a life of forgiveness. It's not automatic. You wake up in the morning, unless you make a conscious choice to live like Jesus, to have the mindset of Jesus, you won't. Because the natural thing to do in this flesh, as long as we're alive in this world, is to get angry, is to be resentful, to get 
frustrated and take revenge. That's just the natural thing. If, if we are not getting up each morning and making a conscious choice to be like Jesus in this idea of forgiveness, then we're going to do the opposite of that. We're going to look for opportunities to get back at people. We're going to plan our day for revenge instead of forgiveness. So here's the definition of forgiveness. The act of excusing or pardoning others in spite of their errors. The act of excusing or pardoning others in spite of their errors. I want to quickly say that forgiving someone does not mean that they are innocent. Forgiving others does not mean that you condone bad behavior. Because at the end of the day, I can't control what these people do. I can only control what I do. I can't control the circumstances that come in my life. What I can control are my reactions to those circumstances. And I can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing, that we, we are not saying that when we forgive someone, we're not saying that that person is uh, innocent. We're not saying that. And also, forgiveness is not forgetting. Remember that old saying, forgive and forget? <laughs> One is possible, the other is impossible. So we can forgive. We can choose not to remember what these people have done. What we cannot do is forget. And I don't think we should. You know, uh, Once again, we're not talking about uh, remembering to get even. We're choosing not to remember because that's what God did for us. God says, I have put your sins as far as the east is from the west. I like to say about God and that it's not that he forgets. He chooses not to remember. That's a wonderful thing. That's an awesome thing. He chooses not to remember. So forgiveness is to choose to accept a person's mistakes and then choose to forgive. Forgiveness is not to choose to let that person's mistakes dominate your relationship with them. When we choose to forgive, we are taking the, the burden of responsibility of getting even and tossing it away. Because God's going to take care of those situations. So here we are. Here's the meat of the message this morning. First choice we need to make. I must choose to forgive because forgiveness is commanded. If you're born again, if you're a child of God, we are commanded in God's word to forgive. We don't really have a choice. We have to forgive. Look at our example, the supreme example, and that's Jesus. Jesus lived a life of forgiveness. You need an example? We'll take a look in Luke chapter 23, if you'll turn there in your Bible. Hopefully you have your Bibles here today. If not, on your, your cell phone, smartphone. Luke chapter 23, and look in verse 34, 2334, and the verse says this, Luke chapter 23, verse 34, it says, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Now, for some context, where is Jesus at this point when he says these words? 
is on the cross. We all know what he's gone through. He's gone through the crown of thorns. He's been scourged. He has been spat upon. His beard's been plucked out. All these horrible things have happened to him. And now he's on the cross, and these guys are, you know, gambling to take his clothes. And Jesus, in the middle of all that, if there's anyone who deserves to call down fire from heaven and to wipe out these people, it's Jesus and these people who have made this horrible decision. But Jesus chooses to have a different perspective. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Most of the people that have hurt us really are not fully conscious of the pain that they've caused. We're intimately aware of it because we're the ones who have been hurt. And these folks are, you know, nonchalantly going through their lives, happy-go-lucky and free. And we have the burden of the pain of being hurt. But Jesus sets the example for us. He says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We are commanded to have or live a life of forgiveness. In fact, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Get your Bible a workout this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. And look in verse 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And this is the Apostle Paul uh, reiterating uh, the command that Jesus has given us to, uh, and the example that he's given us to forgive. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. It says there in verse 32, he says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. So the example has already been set. God, through Christ, has forgiven us. And because that is true, and because that has happened, we have the ability, opportunity, and the decision to make to forgive others. Why? Because we have first been forgiven by God. So the question immediately jumps on mind, how often should I do it? Peter asked that question. Well, let's take a look and see. Let's look in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 and look in verse 21. How often should we do it? Peter had that question. Matthew chapter 18 and look in verse 21. And he says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now Peter knew that the law says that you, you had to forgive someone up to three times. So Peter's like, I'm stepping out. Wow, look, seven times? That's awesome. That's amazing. I'm going more than twice what I'm supposed to. But look at Jesus' response. Verse 22. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto you until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Now, if there's any mathematicians out in the crowd, you know that's 490 times for the same offense. So the idea here. It's pretty clear. You forgive and you keep on forgiving. And this is the same offense as I mentioned. So the idea is unlimited forgiveness. Now you're saying, Ken, that is impossible. You don't know what they did to me. I don't. But God does. Whatever that is, God is telling us, you forgive as I have forgiven you. The foundational forgiveness that we receive through Jesus Christ. So that's the first point. Number two, choice number two. 
I must choose a life of forgiveness because I value my relationship with God. So the first choice is because it's a command. Second choice is because I value my relationship with God. God requires us to forgive for him to forgive us. Let's look. We're in Matthew already. Let's look in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. We're familiar with this uh, prayer. In this manner, therefore pray, Jesus is telling his disciples, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Look in verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Is that pretty clear? I, I think that's clear. So every time we think we're justified in choosing not to forgive, remember that verse. Once again, the foundation is there when, because I have been forgiven, I choose to forgive others because I value my relationship with the Lord. So why does God require us to forgive others? I think there's three reasons why he commands us to forgive. The first one is because it frees us for service. It frees us for service. Put a little joke in here. I don't have any Christian stickers on my car because when I'm driving a 95, my goal is to get where I'm going. And I don't want anybody to see a Christian fish or follow me to Ocean State Baptist Church or, hey, I'm the headmaster at West Bay Christian. I don't want them to know any of that stuff because when I drive, I'm on the left lane. And oh, by the way, if you're in the left lane, you're driving slow, not good. So that left lane, just for a public service announcement, that's for passing. That's not for sightseeing. So I'm just throwing that out there for you, okay? That's also free. So it frees us for service. We are most like God when we forgive. So it's important for us. We need to make sure that when we are forgiving, we recognize that we, when we're doing that, we don't become enslaved to the people we refuse to forgive. Now think about that for a moment. Remember I told you that whenever someone has hurt you or offended you, and they're like going through their life and they don't care. They're happy. They're sleeping all night. They're not crying. They're not you know, burdened down with the, hey, I just offended my brother. No, they're free. We're the ones who struggle with that. So when we choose to forgive, then we are no longer enslaved by the bad behaviors of others because we've forgiven them. So it frees us for service. Number two, it frees us from physical damage. Do you realize what happens to your body when you choose not to forgive? So there's a couple of different things that happen here. When we are angry, that's outward. But when we're bitter, we're, that's inward. Bitterness, resentment, and anger do terrible things to our bodies. It gives us ulcers. It probably gives you acid reflux. It gives you headaches. Besides the lost sleep and the, the bloodshot eyes. It's a terrible thing to our bodies when we're encumbered and weighed down with this spirit of unforgiveness. 
It does bad things to us. And then the third thing, it frees us from revenge. You know, when someone has hurt you on your job, in your neighborhood, in your family, you spend too much time thinking, how am I going to get back at them? What's my plan? What's my battle plan to get back at them? And you're calculating and you're conceiving these ideas and you're consumed with it instead of just serving God, instead of being able to minister freely. I like Joseph in that he had no desire for revenge. We don't see anywhere in the scripture where he says, when I get out of this prison, I'm taking the butler down. I don't care. I don't see. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but that's the first thing on my list. Check, take out butler. We don't see that. We don't see in his list, you know, when I get out of here and I get some power, I'm going to find my brothers and I'm going to hurt them. I'm going to throw them in a, in a pit. I'm going to sell them into slavery. No, we don't see any of that. He had no desire for revenge. As Christians, here's another good verse for you to remember. Romans 12, 19. Don't turn there. I will read it for you. Romans 12, 19 says this. Dearly beloved. Now, he's talking to Christians. He's not talking to people who are not a part of his family. He says, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. There you go. Boom. I can forgive because I know God's got this and he's going to take care of that stuff. I, that frees me to be able to serve him and serve others. That way I'm not consumed with trying to figure out how to take people out in a Christian way. <laughs> Choice number three. We'll quickly move on from that one. I must choose a life of forgiveness because I want to have a positive impact on others. If you're burdened with trying to figure out how to take people out, how to get even with people, what you're not doing is serving God. What you're not doing is having a positive impact on others. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 20. It says this, Therefore, if your enemy hunger... Feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. Listen to this part. For in so doing, you shall heap coals of fire on his head. Bless you. That's an amazing thing. So here we are. The disciples are asking Jesus, who's my neighbor? You know, and they're all concerned about who the neighbor is because they want to know who they're going to. Supposed to be, you know, nice to you, you know, being, and, and Jesus said, you know what? The law says you're to love your neighbor, and that's true. But I want you to go above and beyond. I want you to love your enemies, too. And you use a couple of illustrations about, you know, if a, back in those days in the Roman Empire, if you're walking and the Roman uh, a soldier comes and says, I want you to carry my backpack. The law said you had to carry it for a mile. That's a long time. Jesus said, I want you to go two miles. Because I want you to be different. I want you to stand out. So I submit to you as Christians, we don't look a lot like Jesus when everything's going great and we're you know, happy and all that. When we can look like Jesus is when the chips are down and we don't have any hope going forward. And the world sees that and they say, that person's got something I don't have. 
So you're in the workplace, and they see when you're going through tough times, and you're depending on the Lord, and you're asking God for strength, and he's doing those things. The unsaved co-workers see that and say, hey, they've got something I don't have. And they get interested. So it's the adversity that God uses, and we respond correctly to it, that the unsaved see and want that too. That's an awesome thing. So here's a truism. When I return evil for evil, there is no ministry. When I return evil for evil, there is no ministry. One thing I've learned living in New England, specifically in Rhode Island, everybody knows everybody. That's mostly a good thing. I am surprised, even to this day, I'll talk to someone and say, you know, tell me a little about yourself. And they'll say, well, I'm, I'm brothers with so-and-so. Or I'm married to this person's sister. I'm like, I didn't know that. So now I go into the stores. I'm like, who, who, who knows me that I don't know them? You know, I'm, I'm like a little bit paranoid because they, they know me, but I don't know them. Every, you know, I've given up on the idea that, you know, I'm going to be secret about anything because everyone sees everything, especially in Rhode Island. It's just the way it is. So the thing is this. Be careful who you're rude to. Don't be rude. Here's an example. So my wife and I, my two kids, we live in, in Massachusetts. As I like to call it, tax um, We live in Mansfield. And so one of our toilets wasn't working. And so we asked for a plumber to come and fix it. Because these hands don't do plumbing. They don't do electricity. Very few things in this hand, these hands do. So I know what my limits are. I call them the experts. So he comes in. He does it and uh, did a great job. A week goes by. Two weeks go by. No bill. Now, most people say, yeah, God answered my prayer. I don't have to pay this bill. He didn't send me a bill. But not me. So I picked up the phone. I called him. I said, hey, good job on fixing our toilet. Thank you very much. Uh, it's working fine, but you didn't send me a bill. And I could hear a pin drop on the other end of the line. He said, he said, I've been a plumber for 20 years. I have never had someone call me and say, where's my bill? <laughs> that man and his family are now members of our church. Because he asked me, he said, Ken, where do you go to church? Hello? That gives me goosebumps when I think about it. When you go to Stop and Shop or you go to Dave's or whatever, be nice to the people there. You have no idea what they're going through. Be nice to them. And you have no idea how God's going to use you to be a blessing to them. This world is filled with hurting people, and they need to know what we know. They need to be ready. We've got a few empty seats. We need to fill these seats with people because we've got the right message. We've got hope. So, when I return evil for evil, there is no ministry. So, choose to return good for evil. When I return good for evil, then God uses my life to be a blessing to the other people. So, someone's offended you. Someone's hurt you. And you're living with that pain today. And you're sitting here saying, Ken, you don't have any idea what my dad did to me. 
You don't have any idea what my mom has done to me. You don't know what my brother or my sister, my grandfather, my grandmother, my uncle, my aunt, you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know how my boss treats me. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking that very thing. There's a good chance that the people that have done this don't even know they've done it, first of all. And there's also a good chance that the people who have done this are not even believers. So you have a choice today to make. How are you going to respond to that? We have the answer. These folks do not. How are you going to respond to that? I'm going to close with this story this morning. Talking about our story. You know, looks can be deceiving. You can look at people and say, you can, we, we make snap judgments about people. Well, that person's a pastor's kid. That person's parents were missionaries. Oh, that person's parents were def- definitely drug addicts. You know, whatever. We make these snap judgments. We just don't know. You know, some of the people around here have been through really horrific families of origin. Others have been really blessed. I was not blessed. I grew up in a family where my father, not born again, I wasn't saved until later. Uh, My dad was what I like to call a rageaholic. Not an alcoholic, but a person addicted to anger. And he did horrible things when he was angry. And I was bitter. And I was angry. And I pushed all that stuff down because I couldn't do anything about it. And so I went through my high school years and, you know, I turned that anger and that bitterness into performance. You know, if I just do more, people will like me more. If I do this, I break my back and do activities, then people will like Ken Amador. And I did that. And I coasted. And I was able to excel until I turned 22 and I got married. And I am convinced that marriage exposes fault lines in a person's character. I'm convinced of that. So we were not doing well, my wife and I. Got married at 22. We were both 22 and married the woman of my dreams. Still married 33 years later. And um, we were struggling. Our marriage was on the rocks. And I was just irritable and angry and just didn't know why. And so finally, of course, I had become a Christian by that time, and um, it came to me. I had never forgiven my father for what he had done to me. I was afraid of my dad. My dad was a monster. He wasn't saved, but he had become saved in my teen years. And so I recognized that my marriage was not going to make it unless I made some drastic changes. And so we were in New Mexico. That's where my dad lived. That's where I'm from. And um, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. And my dad not, doesn't sleep. I mean, he goes, 11 o'clock, boop, gone. Turn the lights off, gone. 2 o'clock, he's still awake. And so I talked to my wife about this. And my wife had said, are you going to go talk to him? And I said, I, I need to. I want to, but I'm afraid. She said, you know what? You, you won't know unless you go ask. So I went in there. No idea how to broach the topic. So I said, Dad... Do you have regrets in your life? And, and Oh, yeah, I regret starting that restaurant. I regret starting that restaurant. I, I regret doing this and that. And I'm, no, 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 Dad. About you as a father to us, your sons. The moment I said that, my dad wept. For the first time in my life, I had never seen my dad cry. He wept. And he said, Ken, you don't have any idea how many times I wanted to pick up that phone and beg for your forgiveness. And then I saw a second thing I'd never seen before. My dad prayed out loud 
in front of me. And that week we cried, we laughed, and we, I felt cleansed. The anger and the bitterness that I held in my life that had impacted my wife and my kids and, and my coworkers and anyone who knew me well knew. And my dad, from that moment until he died four years ago, was the dad I never had as a child. And it all started with one word, forgiveness. He wanted to forgive me, but he didn't have the strength. He was too overwhelmed. He was too humiliated to do it. I had to take that first step. And when I did, it changed his life. It changed my life. Jump forward to four years ago, about three weeks before he died. My dad had Alzheimer's. And in many ways, if you're familiar with Alzheimer's, a lot, a lot of things that the personality comes, goes back to early, pre-salvation days. And he, I would go in there, I'd visit with him, and he would cuss at me, and he was just furious with me. You know? And he knew all my buttons. You know, you're weak. I knew you would never amount to anything. And that was hard to receive because that took me back to when I was a kid. But I love my dad. And I remember sitting in front of a television in the rest home. My dad, who I didn't know at this point, he, he was there, but he didn't know me. And I, I just figured, you know what, this is it. This is how he's going out. He's a Christian. He's going to be in heaven. Thank the Lord. But this is my last connection with my dad. And so I'm sitting there. I'm crying. And um, I, I feel this hand gingerly put on my thigh. And he said, Ken, I love you. And he went back into where well, he didn't know me anymore. And I'll never forget that. But that moment would not have been possible if many decades ago I hadn't taken a step. Maybe you're in that position today. Maybe you're in a place where you need to forgive someone. And it's holding you back. It's tearing you up. It's impacting your relationships. And it's, you're not being able to be the free useful person to God that you can be. Maybe that's you today. I challenge you. I encourage you. I implore you. Make it right. Now, they may not respond like my dad did. I tried doing the same thing to my mom. She wasn't ready for it. My mom's still alive, and we have a great relationship, but she just wasn't able to take it. But my dad did. So I encourage you, consider these things. Not just because it's a command, but we desperately need it to be successful. Father, I thank you for this day. And Lord, I, I just ask you that you would do your work in each of our lives. Lord, we are needy people. I stand before these people, humiliated, humble, desperate for your work in my life. And Father, I know many in this room can echo those thoughts. God, you did not promise us that we would have an easy life. You promised us that you would go through this life with us, and we need that. Father, maybe right now there's someone that says, Ken's right. I need to get it right with my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my coworker, my boss, my children. I ask right now, God, that you would give them Holy Spirit courage to do it. 
Father, I thank you so much for this great church. Thank you for Pastor Rich and his wife, the many years of ministry and leadership. Lord, I really think that your hand of blessing is on this congregation. And we're excited about what you're doing here at Calvary Chapel. Please, Lord, continue to do your work. Do the impossible. We are helpless. We are desperate. We need you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.